Greetings and welcome back to Rounding the News. I am Liam Sturgis and here is a selection of the most important and interesting news stories that I have curated over the past week. This show is presented by Rounding the Earth, which is quickly becoming a multimedia enterprise for people across the world to stay connected become a more expansive community and connect with the bigger picture. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Substack, Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and every other audio or video platform that you love the most. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna break down our categories as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks um, into six different categories. We got health, law, the economy, geopolitics, environment, and culture. So uh, let me know in the chat if audio and video are working good, and let's enjoy. So first things first, uh, in health, the breakdown of the healthcare system is continuing. As we have reported on several times now over the last month or so, healthcare systems across the world are collapsing. Here is a look at just some of the headlines summarizing the crisis. In Edmonton, Alberta, we've got teens nightmare hospital wait, a symptom of Alberta's healthcare breakdown, doctors warn. In Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, doctors say Red Deer's hospital is on the brink of collapse. Uh, moving over to, oh, I see. I jumped ahead a little bit. Oh, yes, of course. Alexandria, Ontario. How could we forget Alexandria? Alexandria, Ontario Hospital closing its emergency department this weekend due to staff shortage. Yikes. I would say the weekend is likely when most people are getting into crazy emergencies that require hospitalization. That's when everyone parties, unless you're me and you party on Tuesdays exclusively. Um, Ottawa, Ontario, child waits in CHEO, that's uh, sent, what is it? Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario for 32 hours for a bed during Ottawa Hospital's busiest September. And lastly, that's what this slide is in a place I never knew existed called Yankton, South Dakota in the United States. A call for help, but this time from EMS. I'll just read a little excerpt here. It's a call no one wants to make, but it's a call you hope to God someone answers. It's the call you may have to make when you or a loved one are in a medical distress and need help. So you reach out, you dial 911 because that's what you know you must do, and you call for help. But what happens if help isn't there? Or it's stretched so thin uh, that you have to wait your turn to get your crisis addressed. That situation was faced in Yankton Monday when Yankton County Emergency Medical Services received multiple 911 calls practically at once, but didn't have enough emergency medical technicians to go around. It's very scary. In the comments, let me know, have you seen similar things wherever you are in the world? I think we have mostly Canadian and American viewers, but some international as well. In fact, lots from uh, Great Britain, as I understand, uh, and uh, uh, even parts of Asia. Let me know where you are are your emergency services working as planned? Are you hearing more sirens? Have you had to go to the doctor uh, at, at hospital and been delayed or turned away? I'm genuinely curious. Okay, moving right into the law. Judge rules that fired employees did it to themselves because vaccine good. That's the headline I gave this. Um, now, 
<laughs> in an unnerving display of abdication of duty, British Columbia Supreme Court Justice Heather McNaughton ruled in favor of a company's mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy on grounds, essentially, that the safety of vaccines can't possibly ever be questioned. Um, it's really not that far off what I just said. The province writes, quote, in her lawsuit, Deepak Parmar alleged that she had been constructively dismissed from her employment with tribe management, claiming that the company had breached its contractual obligations by imposing the mandatory policy. In her ruling on the case, the judge noted that the B.C. Supreme Court and other courts had taken judicial notice that COVID was a potentially deadly virus that is easily transmissible. So judicial notice is the key concept here and a huge failure on the part of the judicial system here in Canada over the course of the COVID-19 crisis. So let's look at what that is. So this is the definition as listed by the Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada. I'm sure it's also found in other legal sections of government websites. This is just the one I happen to find. Quote, judicial notice is invoked to relieve parties from having to prove facts that are not in dispute. Thus, when judicial notice is taken of a fact, no formal evidence of that fact must be introduced at the trial or hearing. Now, while that seems potentially useful and reasonable, it takes on a completely different character when applied across the board to dismiss arguments that go contrary to the establishment. As the province describes, the judge used it to avoid arguing over the level of risk posed by COVID, which I assume is meant to read SARS-CoV-2, as they are specifically speaking about the virus in that case, not the disease. I digress. What they fail to mention is another thing that the court took judicial notice on. I quote, Because I have taken judicial notice of the fact that vaccines are safe and effective for use in people and with respect to controlling the spread of COVID-19, it was solely Ms. Parmar's choice not to comply with the mandatory vaccination policy. The safety of vaccines is, quote, so notorious as not to be the subject of dispute among reasonable people. And then she cites a couple of court cases from 1998, another one from 2020, um, which itself was cited uh, by a more recent case. Various publications by Health Canada and by the British Columbia Ministry of Health and the Provincial Health Officer cannot reasonably be disputed to be inaccurate. As PC says, kangaroo courts indeed. Now, wow. <laughs> now that is a doozy that will not age well. Here's why. I have three items. One, conflating vaccines and the specific gene therapy-based products offered to the defendant those being Pfizer-BioNTech, Moderna, and AstraZeneca at the time, possibly even Janssen, though it's unlikely, is factually baseless. 
as none of the COVID-19 vaccine products offered are at all comparable to traditional vaccines. This is one reason why, in my opinion, continuing to refer to the COVID-19 injectables as vaccines is dangerous and possibly legally counterproductive. Item number two, the COVID-19 vaccine products were never demonstrated to be either safe or effective due to the low quality and otherwise fraudulent nature of the phase three clinical trial conducted by Pfizer and its subcontractors. Now, Moderna and AstraZeneca's trials are, by emerging accounts, just as bad. It was known at the time, and it has borne out in the real world. I turn you to the the Pfizer inoculations for COVID-19 do more harm than good video put together by my colleagues at the Canadian COVID Care Alliance that went viral and got Dr. Robert Malone kicked off YouTube before he went on, or sorry, off Twitter before he went on to Joe Rogan. In any case, item number three, the idea that COVID-19 vaccines control the spread of SARS-CoV-2 is so old now It's painful to learn that people in positions of power repeat it now. And no, the mass vaccination program did not reduce, has not, and will definitely continue to not reduce any form of illness, mild or severe, let alone COVID-19. For the sake of time, I'll let you, the listeners and, and readers of the Substack, finish the list of absurdities in just the section quoted above uh, earlier. There's at least two more absurdities. But let's move on now to the economy. Look at that pretty face. I want to turn this week once again uh, and, and highlight the work of Gregory Manorino over on YouTube. He does a lot of talking in his videos, a lot of opining. So be prepared for that, of course. But It helps provide one possible interpretation of the big picture through the lens of the financial markets. A few highlights from Gregory's analysis in this video that he did yesterday. Item one, liquidity in the bond market is really bad right now. On Wednesday, 10-year treasury bond yields recorded the biggest drop since 2009. I wish I could elaborate on the significance of this, but I'm afraid I'm out of my depth on that one. Item two, as you see, it's not just America. Japan's bond market liquidity fell to its lowest level since 2011. Same caveat as above. I can't add much more to that. Item number three, right on schedule. Germany's inflation hits 70-year high of 10%. This confirms a prediction that was made back in back on August 22nd uh, by the German Central Bank, in fact. But they, of course, blamed Russia for the whole thing. We're going to have more on that topic in the geopolitics section. So anyway, I recommend you go check out Gregory Manorino's videos. Subscribe to his channel if you like uh, his perspective. Um, It's not the only perspective. It's just one alternative perspective. And as a reminder, if you look in the show uh, description today on any of the platforms you're on, you'll see a link to the show notes. It'll take you to my Substack. And if you look the most recent 
article posted is the show notes for this episode. And after the show, I will go in and update it to specifically link to that note. The way the reason I do that is because I send out the Substack notification. I publish it as I go live so people can follow along with the notes as they like. Um, but I set up the video descriptions in advance so I don't have the exact link at that time. Anyway, I digress once again. Thank you to all who subscribe, paid or free. Okay, moving on to geopolitics. Now, this is the main story for today, basically. So the uh, attack on the Nord Stream pipelines that run between Russia and Germany. So Nord Stream 1 and 2, the liquid natural gas pipelines that connect Russia to Germany have both been critically damaged in an apparent attack this past Tuesday. There were four confirmed leaks as of Thursday or yesterday, with oil now emptying into the Baltic Sea, which is, I think we can all agree, not great. Um, while the culprit, <laughs> I think everyone everyone is, is on the same page. This was a, an intentional act by someone. So we're, we're just going to jump right to that, unless anyone has any decent argument as to how this could be an accident. Uh, I don't think there is one. But while the culprit is not yet formally known, accusations are flying across the board. Predictably, the global West was quick to accuse Russia of self-sabotage, a suggestion that Russia quickly dismissed as stupid. Uh, instead, they suggested, the United States was likely to blame, uh, given that the damaged sections are located in an area controlled by American intelligence agencies. Now, unless you've been living on a different planet altogether, because even the underside of a rock won't spare you from 2022, then you will be well aware that gas and energy as a whole have played a central role in essentially every aspect of geopolitics today. Not the least of which being, of course, the conflict in the Ukraine. From Al Jazeera, the Nord Stream pipelines have been flashpoints in an escalating energy war between European capitals and Moscow that has pummeled major Western economies, sent gas prices soaring, and sparked a hunt for alternative energy supplies. Now, it's difficult to assign intention at the present time, but we can add some recent historical context to try to understand what might be going on. So, Russia authorized its special military operation into Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. On March 8th, 2022, U.S. President Joe Biden announced sanctions against Russia, banning the importation of Russian oil, liquefied natural gas, and coal to the United States. The White House described the move as a way to, quote, further deprive President Putin of the economic resources he uses to continue his needless war of choice. This is an interesting selection of words, which I intended to come back to in the form of discussing the referendums currently going on where people of uh, Eastern Ukrainian regions are voting, or I believe have voted to become part of Russia. But I did not get to that story, so we will skip over that particular line of thinking. It's still an interesting choice of words. Regardless, it seems odd to try to deprive your enemy of resources by depriving yourself of resources. And that's what the West appears to have done. 
Remember, Al Jazeera, as I quoted, they clearly stated that there is an ongoing energy war that has pummeled major Western economies. That would imply that Russia is weaponizing the supply in order to deprive Western nations of much needed oil. And indeed, that is the story that we're hearing the most from PBS NewsHour. Europe is struggling to contain an energy crisis that could lead to rolling blackouts, shuttered factories, and a deep recession. The primary cause? You guessed it. Russia has choked off the supplies of cheap natural gas that the continent depended on for years to run factories, generate electricity, and heat homes. That has pushed European governments into a desperate scramble for new supplies and for ways to blunt the impact as economic growth slows and household utility bills rise. The crisis deepened when Russia's state-owned Gazprom said the main pipeline carrying gas to Germany would stay closed, blaming an oil leak and claiming the problems could not be fixed because of sanctions, barring many dealings with Russia. Take note of that. European officials say it's energy blackmail aimed at pressuring and dividing the European Union as it supports Ukraine against Russia's invasion. You know, as I was reading this out to my partner yesterday, getting an initial round of feedback, and I saw Ukraine come back up, it genuinely took me by surprise because I forgot for a minute that this had anything to do with Ukraine. It's interesting. So who is responsible for Europe's lack of oil? Well, Europe. Don't get me wrong, okay? Russia surely benefits from a weakened West, allowing them to complete their efforts in Ukraine with less resistance. They aren't even hurting for lost sales, though, as China and India have been all too happy to increase their purchases. No, it was Russia. Uh, or should I say, no, it was Europe who issued a partial embargo on importing Russian oil on June 6th, 2022. Or rather, here I see June 3rd. Perhaps it came into effect June 6th. Ah, I'd say June 3rd. That's what it says. One of a series of actions taken to cut off its own citizens from necessary oil. In addition... Germany volunteered to cut off its receipt of Russian gas by pipeline, preventing Nord Stream 2 from beginning operations in the country, as was originally planned, because it was just about to start. And they said, nope, never mind. And this let Russia, or rather, this let Europe claim it was successfully on track to cut imports of Russian oil by 90%. The result? German families are dealing with skyrocketing energy bills, which are being blamed on Russia. This, coupled with inflation that reached 7.5% back in June, and now we know it's 10% as of uh, this month, is putting everyday people in a tremendously precarious position. If you're the BBC, you're blaming this all on Russia. I quote, how has Russia restricted supplies? Russia has been reducing gas supplies through Nord Stream 1 for a number of months. In June, it cut deliveries through the pipeline by 75% from 2022 to 2023. 
from 170 million cubic meters of gas a day to roughly 40 million cubic meters. In July, Russia shut it down for 10 days, citing the need for maintenance. When it reopened, the flow was halved to 20 million cubic meters a day. In late August, it shut down Nord Stream 1 entirely, blaming problems with equipment. The pipeline has not been opened since then. Hmm. It's interesting how the BBC is able to completely leave out the fact that Europe and Germany in particular, but yes, indeed, for the record, the entirety of Europe, for the most part, enthusiastically bragged over the course of months about turning oil away. But no, it seems this is all Russia's fault that Germany is now implementing energy rationing rules. For the record, California did the same thing earlier this month, too. It turns out they haven't quite figured out how to replace all that oil they love to condemn. So this is a reminder that it's not just Germany, okay? The United States, as we saw, President Biden issued an order saying, yeah, we're not going to bring this oil in anymore. And the U.S. will be fine because it does actually make a lot of its own energy. But even in the U.S., places like California haven't figured out what they're going to do once they get rid of the current source of the majority of energy that they need. Um, but it is the rest of it is other parts of Europe, too, just to be clear. But Germany is a good example because if the pipelines were essentially turned off anyway, what would be the motivation behind blowing parts of them up with the equivalent of 500 kilograms of TNT? Well, here's a tweet from Reuters. Officials with the European Union and NATO warned that any attack on critical infrastructure would be met with a robust response as unexplained leaks of in undersea Nord Stream gas pipelines highlight the vulnerability of Europe's energy supply. Now, beyond the obvious possibility of using a false flag operation to provoke Russia, into a retaliatory attack, as Reuters seems to be suggesting or substantiating in this tweet. There are some independent analysts suggesting the real goal may have been to remove Germany's ability to backtrack on their sanctions. Up until now, there was always the possibility of having Russia send more oil through which would be a political defeat for Germany, for sure. But it would also prevent a tremendous amount of damage and lives lost as the winter, which is coming up, rears its chilly head. But with Nord Stream 1 and 2 both physically inoperable for the foreseeable future and Western sanctions continuing to make repairs... Oops, hang on, I put that in the wrong spot. and. Pretend you didn't see that. Sanctions making repairs unlikely. The country is now stuck with its decision. There's no going back now. Once you go green, you'll quickly go lean. If that's not yet a saying, let's make it happen. I will leave further speculation on the culprit to the readers and listeners. For example... PC notes, this has Susan Rice written all over it. 
Look up video of her saying almost the exact thing that just happened. And I forgot to include this, but Joe Biden said something similar as well. I don't remember how long ago it was. I believe he was already president, but he it was something along the lines of no matter what, we will stop Nord Stream 2. Because again, it was a it's it, it, it was not yet open for operation, as I understand. And when pressed for an explanation, Biden kind of smirked and just said, we're going to do it. Am I speculating now? I guess I am. But that's all it is at this moment. It seems as though such an act would require substantial coordination among the Western powers in the area and, frankly, globally. Russia is no more of a reliable source than any other national government, so I don't take their assertion of U.S. involvement at face value. But it is an interesting possibility to consider that the West would shoot itself in the foot to distract itself from its headache. For further analysis on this situation and others surrounding the Ukraine-Russia conflict, and its global participants, of course, I highly recommend watching The Duran, who just yesterday hosted the excellent attorney Robert Barnes for a discussion called Qui Bono, To Whom Is It a Benefit? Which is a self-explanatory title. And now let's backtrack a moment and have a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Once I locate the special video. All right, here we go. Ah, yes, very good. Blood of Tyrants returns as our sponsor for today's episode. And look, what better time is there to toast our fellow freedom-loving brothers and sisters? Blood of Tyrants is a Merlot with a rich Garnet color, with flavors of black cherries, plums, and figs, with a soft and smooth finish. With its crisp acidity and ripe fruit flavors, this wine is an easy match for any occasion. In the words of Thomas Jefferson, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of tyrants. Metaphorically, of course. Purchase a bottle using our coupon code EARTH to, in the words of Matthew Crawford, get a few bucks knocked off your order. Five bucks specifically, as you can see. And in our Substack show notes of this, there is a nice, easy blue button for easy ordering but you can also go to uh bloodoftyrants.wine and enter coupon code earth to get a few bucks knocked off your order thank you blood of tyrants wine okay jumping ahead again all right oh and by the way i will say the next best way to support us is depending on which platform you're watching live on there are only three on youtube we are now officially youtube partners and you can send us super chats which are paid comments um, you can also, if you're watching on Rumble, send Rumble Rants, which are the equivalent over there. In fact, we take an even bigger percentage uh, and the platform takes a slightly lower percentage. So that's good for us. And then if you're watching on Rockfin, you can leave us a tip with that handy $5 tip button. It's a wonderful way to support us. It's actually the most direct way to, in addition to simply watching, which you're all currently doing. So thank you. <laughs> 
Okay, into the environment. Move over, Fiona. It's Ian's turn to play. Now, Hurricane Fiona was downgraded to a from a hurricane to a tropical storm on Friday last week. Uh, thankfully, seeming to avoid causing uh, any serious injuries or death, at least as far as I can see so far. Unfortunately, North America's East Coast-ish isn't out of the woods quite yet. Despite my use of the word play in, in the headline I just read, this is a very serious situation for many people in the affected areas, particularly parts of Florida, where the hurricane has just exited. In fact, this second hurricane, itself a Category 5, made landfall on Florida's west coast on Wednesday, causing significant damage to the city of Fort Myers, which I had to look up, and it is in fact on the west coast. From the BBC, Governor Ron DeSantis says emergency and rescue services have been working around the clock to ensure roads are cleared and people are safe. Widespread infrastructure damage has been reported. DeSantis says damage to telephone towers has been considerable. But he adds, most school districts in the state will be reopening either today on Friday or on Monday. President Joe Biden said, well, while he was at FEMA, of all places, Hurricane Ian could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history, and early reports suggest substantial loss of life. Reports from local officials suggested that between 9 and 13 people had been killed as of Thursday evening. As Joey Garrison wrote in USA Today, it wasn't clear on what Joe Biden based his estimation of loss of life on. Uh, the 1928 Okeechobee hurricane killed an estimated 2,500 in Florida. Hurricane Andrew, which ravaged South Florida in 1992, killed 43 people. Specificity is very important in emergency situations, and hyperbole is counterproductive. Of course, any loss of life as a result of a natural disaster is a tragedy. The Washington, uh, the Washington Repost um, reported that uh, hurricane warnings have been posted for the entire South Carolina coast while tropical storm warnings are in effect from just north of West Palm Beach, Florida, all the way to Duck, North Carolina. So my thoughts go to everyone in those areas. Um, I uh, wish you all the best. Uh, I hope that uh, you're all good uh, to the people I know there. And um, let's get you back on your feet. Not, not a heck of a lot you can do in advance of a hurricane, except be ready. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, were. Thank goodness. So now moving on to our final bit, just a bit of a, a bit of a relaxation today. Wolverine isn't quite ready to hang up his claws after all. Now, I haven't had a chance to share yet too much of my largely dormant hobby of foreign comic book collecting, but I'm happy to slowly introduce this area of my life to you as appropriate through our discussion of relevant pop culture. How much of an effect does this have on the lives and well-being of the average person around the world, considering the geopolitical, environmental, financial, health crises that we're facing every single day? In my opinion, more than we give it credit for. Heroes come in many different forms, and I've been blessed with the chance to speak to, learn from, and meet 
hundreds of new heroes in the course of pushing back against the COVID tyranny. In fact, these doctors, lawyers, police, politicians, artists, soccer moms, suit and tie dads, and the raft of remarkable everyday people are without a doubt the real life versions of superheroes. In other words, we get to experience heroism in real time. But it can be really nice to take a step back from reality every once in a while and lose ourselves in a world of fiction. The heroes we discover there may not be literally real. But a really well-done movie can temporarily convince you they are and provide a sort of simulation that can then inspire real-world acts of heroism. Then there's Deadpool. Uh, so Deadpool and its sequel, Deadpool 2, were a lot of fun. Uh, I don't even have a picture of Deadpool up. Shame on me. Um, anyway, they took place in the fictional X-Men universe of movies produced by Fox, 21st Century Fox. The same universe that saw the popular Wolverine actor Hugh Jackman retire from his leading role in 2017, which, with his final movie being Logan. I don't know if you've seen it. It's been understood for some time. Oh, forgive me. Then in 2019, Disney completed its purchase of Fox and officially began the merging of the X-Men movie franchise with its own highly acclaimed Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's been understood for some time that the third Deadpool movie would be part of the MCU when it eventually came about. And this has now been officially confirmed for a September 24, oh, sorry, a, yeah, September 2024 release date. With an added twist, Hugh Jackman will return to play Wolverine one final time. You can check out the hilarious, in my opinion, announcement video that Ryan Reynolds, oh, that's not Ryan Reynolds. Hold on, where did I hide it? There he is. Ha ha, Ryan Reynolds did a fun video and Hugh Jackman's in it. You deserve a break. I know it feels like we're fighting against so many crises all at once, and we are, but that's been life forever. We just haven't been aware of it. And just like then, now you can take a break from time to time and enjoy a good movie. So this is me giving you permission, not that you need it. Well, anyway, guys, that does it for today's episode of Rounding the News. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Substack, YouTube, BitChute. Uh, I almost said Vimeo. We're not on Vimeo but all those other places. Uh, most importantly, of course, www.roundingtheearth.substack.com. That is our flagship publication. Go subscribe there. Written by Matthew Crawford. Good stuff. Uh, and support us by sending a super chat on YouTube, a rumble rant on a rumble, or a tip on Rockfin. I have been Liam Sturgis, and you can find me at www.liamsturgis.com or at the Liam Sturgis on Twitter. And there is a nice picture of Ryan Reynolds again. Thank you all so much. And I will see you again on Tuesday. And Matthew should be back on Monday. I just realized I didn't do the rounding the news intro, but that's okay. Uh, see you later. Mm -hmm.